0: I'm Karen and I'm Michelle. We're sisters and homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast where we talk about family style homeschooling. It's so good to be back here today podcasting with Karen again. Hello everyone. One of our favorite things to do. So today we're answering some Layers of Learning questions. Some of these are from the Facebook group which if you're not part of the Facebook group for Layers of Learning come join our homeschooler group there. It is the most friendly, great, awesome group of men and women, moms and dads that we have anywhere on the internet. It's a super eclectic
1: group. I like that it's from people all over the world with a lot of different backgrounds and viewpoints, but so friendly and so welcoming to everyone.
0: Yeah, and all sorts of homeschooling styles. Everyone from leaning towards unschooler to leaning towards super rigid classical curriculum. We've got everybody, the whole spectrum in there, and everybody is We're respectful and kind and loving and helpful helpful to each other. So if you're not part of the Layers of Learning Homeschool Facebook group, come and join us.
1: So we wanted to just answer some questions that you've asked us today. So, Michelle... The first one is, can you combine layers of learning with other curriculums?
0: Yes, that was easy. But let's talk about that a little bit more. So we actually have, again, in that Facebook group, we've got some files. You can go and look and pick those out. And you will see that there are correlation charts. Some of them we made, Karen made, actually. I I say we, that's the royal we. <laughs> we have made this, but (laughs) Karen made them. And then we also have some of our homeschooling parents that have made them as well. And so those correlation charts show how certain textbooks or certain encyclopedias align with layers of learning and how you can mesh them together. Some of the moms have even
1: made just fun book series that their kids have enjoyed. They've correlated those with our units. And so it's fun. You can get a big variety of things right in the files
0: section of that Facebook group. And it's really cool because there are a lot of people have contributed to it. And if anyone wants to contribute another one, yes, (laughs) go ahead. We love that. People often will ask us, you know, they, they, I think they feel like they're being disloyal somehow if they're using something, layers of learning with something else, or if they're not using layers of learning for science, but we don't care.
1: (laughs) Well, and we're telling you to go out and explore Every single activity is called an exploration. That's because we want you to go out and use cool books that you find and cool videos that you find. And those things are found all over, whether it's in your library or in another curriculum. There's great
0: learning tools all over the place. And we're going to say it again. We've said this before and we'll probably keep saying it. But your curriculum that you use should always work for you not for the people who wrote the curriculum. It's, it's about you and your homeschool and what's going on there. So you do what works for you, adjust the curriculum, use it the way that you need to. Yeah. It's
1: intentionally very flexible and you should be able to adapt it to your family. That's what we hope for you. So use it with whatever you find that you
0: love. Okay. Karen, the next question. You get to answer this one first. So how do you find books or instructional materials if your library isn't very good or if it's closed because there's a pandemic or... Yeah, that's, <laughs> or that's been my any other scenario. Any other scenario. Like you just can't get good library books. What do you do?
1: Yeah, I think that I am super spoiled for the most part because our library has a network of libraries. And so I can get onto its website and request books and they bring them to my library and then I go in and pick them up from the desk and they have them all ready for so me. So you're
0: actually pulling from like
1: 30 libraries across the region. It's amazing. Yeah. And they do all the transporting. There's no fees or extra anything. They just do it for so me. So
0: now that we've bragged about how awesome yeah. the
1: We're spoiled. <laughs> our situation is. We're spoiled. So sorry for those of you But who don't. Karen, when you lived in Utah, that was not true. It was not true. I had a little tiny town that I lived in and we were only less than 30 minutes away from like the big city library in Salt Lake and they had everything but
0: they I wasn't, charged a lot of money to use their library system yeah i
1: wasn't allowed to Check out books. So we went sometimes to the big library and I'd say, kids, we're spending a day here. We're not allowed to check anything out. But we would just go and read their books. Sometimes. Yeah, you can still go in the door. <laughs> yeah. But yes, I did have many years where I homeschooled without a strong library system. And I know that it's tough. Fortunately, there are a lot of resources that are outside of just your library that you can get, especially online resources. So we use a lot of Kindle books. Our library does have a really good um, digital library component. And I think a lot of public libraries, even small ones, do have that now.
0: Yeah, it it costs the library a lot of money and they have to pay per book. So every library is different. So yours may or may not have a great selection. I, I don't know. But it's usually called either Overdrive or Libby. Those are the the major apps that you can get on your phone or your tablet or your computer, and you can borrow books th- through your library with your library card, just like you could borrow them if it was a physical book, except you can do it from your house. Yeah. And it's instant. Yes. So that's pretty cool. It's nice.
1: Um, I also purchase things. I know that this isn't feasible for everyone, but I have loved that I've built up our home library over many, many years. So I remember starting out and feeling like, oh, I can't afford these books, and I'm never going to have everything, but I just buy a few books each year, and it's amazing. Now that I've been homeschooling, you know, 15 years, we have a pretty amazing library in our home. Yeah, and I'm not proud. I buy used books. Oh, yeah. I don't care. I buy used books. I also, you know, when our libraries have their sales, or sometimes the elementary schools locally will sell off things from their libraries, or when the elementary schools do book fairs, I love to take advantage of those things. I go to yard sales for books. I get books from all
0: over the place. Another thing that I haven't used personally, Karen, but a lot of people on our Facebook group have recommended it is a service called Epic and you have to pay for it. It costs right now, it costs around $72 a year for your family. And it is books that are targeted for kids under 12. So if you've got younger kids, you can get, as many books as you want and there are lots of them on epic for you know 72 bucks a year and that's you know that's cheaper than buying all those books for sure you know another thing Karen that I think is important in my homeschool is that we have encyclopedias and i have i have one for art one for science one for geography and one for history and that is my backup sometimes i use them anyway i don't only use them as a backup but but it's, if you can't find information then you can always get it from the encyclopedia
1: yeah. And from YouTube. Yeah, we do love to have books, but we also use the YouTube playlists, And YouTube is an amazing free resource that is so full of information. It's incredible.
0: I use it like a lecture. It's, it's as though the teacher is standing there in front of the class lecturing about the topic, except that they're really well put together with great visuals. They're even better than a lecture.
1: Do you pause in the middle of your videos? Because we constantly pause and talk about things, too. We do too.
0: I mean, a lot of times we'll watch the entire video through and then we'll watch it a second time pausing and talking or pausing so they can take notes. Sometimes it depends on what we're doing with the video. Yeah, but
1: those are great resources that, you know, if you've got a good internet connection, you've got a lot of websites, videos, lots of resources online.
0: Also, in a lot of places, there are homeschooler networks, either on Facebook or some other service where you can connect with other homeschoolers who live nearby and you people do swaps or they buy and sell, trade with each other and stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So look into that. So it takes a little bit of work if you don't have a great library, but it's not unfeasible. I do want to add something that we didn't mention. One of the things that I do because we use a lot of Kindle books and also audiobooks I have each of my kids have a Kindle, but it's logged into my Amazon account. So all of them can access my library on their Kindles.
0: Yeah, that's what I do too.
1: So that's a really nice way that you can buy the book once, but use it. Your whole family has it. Yeah, everybody's got it. And so it's it's handy when you're doing family school and they're all kind of reading the same topics at the same times. Okay, so Michelle, I'm going to shoot you the next question. How do you get
0: lazy or unmotivated kids to do schoolwork? Okay. Sometimes I honestly don't. <laughs> I mean, we all have discipline issues in our homes and in our schools that sometimes are stumping us and every single kid is different. So there is no way we can give an answer to this that is going to work for every kid or every family because they're all different. Parenting's an art, not a science. But generally, I would say... I use both the stick and the carrot. <laughs> so, so you'll be like, you can't have lunch until you finish this, right? You got to finish your entire math page before lunch. Yeah. You know, that, that would be the stick. And then other times I'm like, I will give you a candy bar. If you complete all your work this week, you know, I mean, I, I or as soon as you
1: guys are done with school, <laughs> we're going to go to the park. Yes. You know, anything that is, Hey, give them a little bit of motivation for the most part. I think if you're relaxed in your homeschool and enjoying it together and not having it be a super stressful thing, kids kind of fall into a pretty good rhythm.
0: I think there are times when they are just going to push limits. When they're 12. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why. But all of my kids, right about when they hit 12, right around that age, they kind of go into this rebellion mode and we have to work through that. But, you know, kids go through phases. Well, and I think... (laughs) Every time we have a
1: break, like when we start up again after Christmas, for example, or anything like that, it takes a little bit of retraining and firmer expectations, and then we fall back into our good habits and routines. But yeah, it's not a perfect thing. It's going to be different for every kid.
0: And then some kids, you know, they, they may have issues that you need to work around. Like maybe they really can't sit still for that long because there's some brain chemistry thing happening. And you need to rethink your school day. Okay, well, we're going to only do 15 minutes of math, then take a break, then come back and do 15 more minutes of math.
1: Sometimes it's not laziness. Sometimes it's other things. So
0: you do want to watch
1: for, you know, is there something that I could productively do to make this day go more smoothly? You know, have expectations, but also meet my kid halfway.
0: Okay, Karen, here we go. This is a good question for you because... You're the holiday guru. Okay, so the question is... (laughs) Fanatic, you mean. (laughs) Fanatic. How to fit in holiday learning or other types of fun days into our school schedule? I really love holidays. So fit it in? That's impossible. You can't fit (laughs) everything in that you want to do. I know that
1: because there's no end to what I want to do when it comes to the holidays. But I will say that I have grown and matured in the way that I approach our holiday learning. I used to feel like I had to incorporate... Christmas. I'm going to use that because Christmas is coming up soon. I had to incorporate Christmas into every subject all through December. And I spent countless hours finding math worksheets that were Christmas themed and art projects that were Christmas themed. And I was going nuts. I had to put aside our history curriculum and learn about the history of Christmas. And I just went all in. And I did that for a few years. And it was fun, though exhausting. And not just exhausting for me, but also exhausting for the kids.
0: Well, like, and besides, you're doing everything else that goes with Christmas. You know, buying gifts and decorating the tree and taking cookies to neighbors and all the other things. Yeah. And and I love all of it. I loved all of it.
1: But if at the end you're more exhausted than enjoying, then you kind of missed the mark. And that's what I found I was doing after it took me several years. I was doing this for several years. And then I realized... Maybe we would actually enjoy it more if I eased up a little bit. So now, many years into homeschooling, I have adjusted our holiday learning. And I love what I do now. It might work for you. It might not. But now what I do is I create a morning meeting that is holiday themed. So every morning we start out our family style school with this little morning meeting. And it's always changing. It's the little poems that we memorize. It's the little stories that we read. So during December, all throughout December, we will be reading Christmas stories, doing little Christmas activities, playing a Christmas game or doing a Christmas craft. But it's just one thing each day throughout December. So maybe one day we will learn about the history of Christmas during morning meeting. But that doesn't mean that we're not doing our normal history studies through the rest of the day. We just spend a little bit of time at the morning meeting. And that's how I balanced it and made it work for our family. So it was every day all the time, but not
0: so much that we were struggling in it in stress. So so for me, Karen, that would be a big ramp up. Like. I don't do anything for the holidays. My, my kids are not used to that. I, I used to think when they were young, I'd be like, oh, maybe I should do a holiday thing. Because I remember back in school, you know, we would have an entire day that was Valentine's Day. And we would... St- share valentines and people would do stuff and there'd be valentine themes coloring sheets and i don't know all the valentine stuff and so i would think oh maybe i should be doing that and i would make an effort every now and then but that was as far as i ever got and i don't i just don't do it the way you do it but i don't i like the morning basket thing because i could actually do that without it being stressful well i don't think that the holidays are like
1: your source of joy like they are for me i don't yeah but it's not that i don't like holidays i just no, but my but whole like the effort my whole house transforms. Like I have an entire my husband calls it my she shed, but I have an entire shed full of holiday decorations in totes that come out for all of the different holidays and my house always
0: changes and decorations. See, I have I have three totes for all of the holidays all the way through the year. Oh so that's goodness. It, I know. I think I have twenty four Christmas totes. It's ridiculous. That is crazy. Okay, so our Christmas decor oh, maybe we shouldn't go into this right now. <laughs>
1: But I did find that I was doing too much. And then after a while, my kids were even kind of tired of it. They were kind of done with it because I was doing too much and it was too stressful. So just putting it in our morning meeting, even if the morning meeting lasts a little bit longer, I'm fine with that. And even if we relax a little bit more of what we do during December because the morning meeting's a little bit longer because we did Christmas things, that's fine with me. But I've instead kept up our normal school schedule for the most part, but just transformed our morning meeting into learning about different Christmas things, doing different Christmas art projects. And I do that during other holidays too. This last month, when it was the week of Thanksgiving, I did that every day leading up to Thanksgiving where we were doing little activities and reading books during morning meeting for that. So that's what works for me um but everybody's different You'll...
0: and it's there's nothing wrong with taking a if you want to take a week off of layers of learning to do holiday stuff instead or if you want to take a day off now and then to do have a fun day of school that's a theme day of some kind do it. that's fine layers of learning is that outline thing you just pick it back up when you are done with your detour that's all that's how it works
1: okay michelle <laughs> i'm asking you the next question why doesn't layers of learning cover
0: the Stone Age? Okay, we do get this question every now and then, especially people are trying to figure out history and how come you don't start back at the beginning of humans? And the reason we don't is because the topic, the academic subject of history, starts with the story of humans, which starts with civilization and writing and you know actual records that we can read about. So we don't go back into pre-history. So
1: you'll notice that in the very first unit we get into cuneiform and that's because that's when they started keeping records. So it's more of a history
0: of civilization than a history of the entire world. Right. And, and we do cover you know, the history of the earth as far as the earth itself, not humans, but the earth itself. When we're talking about earth science stuff, you know, we, we talk about the age of the earth and that kind of thing, but that's different history is the story of civilization. So there's prehistory and there's history. We don't do prehistory. Now I took a lot of history classes in
1: college and every single one of the course studies was a history of civilization. So this is not uncommon. It's a pretty common way to approach history. We weren't making a statement. It's just how it's normally done because history is the written records that we have for the most part.
0: Yeah, but if you want to cover prehistory with your kids, go ahead, do it. Spend spend a week, two weeks, a month, whatever it is that you need teaching your kids prehistory. Some for some people that'll be the creation, um for some people it'll be you know cavemen and neanderthals and and that kind of stuff too. But that's not part of layers of learning curriculum. Okay, Karen, another question. My kids are getting bored during layers of learning. Help.
1: (laughs) I honestly think that that often comes from trying to do too much. I think a lot of people look at it and go, oh, I've got to squeeze in all of these things. And it was really never intended to be that way. So my suggestion is to choose the appropriate number of explorations that your kids aren't
0: really getting bored And that will be different depending on their ages and how much time you're planning on spending on layers of learning. You know, are you taking it in the unit in two weeks? Are you spending three weeks? Are you spending four weeks? So that would change that. Well, and one of the keys
1: that I found is that if I let my kids help me choose which explorations we're doing, it helps them to be engaged and to be excited about it instead of feeling like you're assigning it. So get them involved in the process a little bit of choosing, and even as far as when we're at the library, I love to have my kids help me choose the books. I like to have them help me pick out the YouTube videos that they like. They have a couple of the geography series that they absolutely love. If we're studying a new country, they say, oh, do they have a geography now on this one? Oh, Because yeah. <laughs> they know the geography now videos. They get excited about them. They really like those.
0: So part of it is letting your kids take some of the ownership you know what else I do, Karen? I lead with the hands-on part. We get right into it, and then we read a book, and then we watch a video. So we do the project first a lot of times. That gets them interested. It gets them doing something, and it doesn't feel like school. You know, it doesn't feel like traditional, normal school. Read the book, answer the questions. It, it needs to be – it's a hands-on program, Layers of Learning is. And so dive right into the hands-on part and then do the backup Yeah. You don't have to know all of the information in order to complete the
1: project. You can just get right in with the fun stuff. And then I like to do a lot of the teaching while my kids are working on their crafts and on their projects and things. So I read them a book during that time or we have a YouTube video playing in the background or
0: whatever. So if you watch the science experiment, the chemistry experiment in the test tube and see what happens, now you want to know what happens. But You want to know why it happened or how it worked. But before you've seen it in the test tube, not only does it not interest you that much, you don't really understand what you're even talking
1: about. And you won't really remember it either. Yeah. So the hands-on stuff is really key. Not that you're going to do every single hands-on project, but you need to capture their interest so that they have something to cling to. And also it becomes kind of a memory. You know, we remember the things that we do more than just something that we read. So it just will help your kids to cling to it more. We also like to incorporate games and that helps it to, you know, be more exciting. A game can be as simple as 20 questions. So we have a 20 question shoebox in our schoolroom. And I will stick an item in that has to do with that. Sometimes it's just a printed picture of an item if I don't actually have an item. But if I were going to teach my kids the unit about birds, in fact, when I did this recently, I had found a bird's nest outside and I stuck the bird's nest inside the 20 question box. And then the kids basically have 20 questions, yes or no questions, that they get to ask me to try to figure out what is in the box. So they ask... You know, is it red? Is it alive? You know, they ask all kinds of things, and I answer yes or no, and they try to narrow it down and find out what is in the box.
0: That helps them work on logic too. Yeah, yeah. Benefits.
1: <laughs> but anything that you can turn into a little bit of a game is a really good way to keep them engaged.
0: And if if nobody is feeling it, if your whole family is like, oh, the Babylonians are boring, you can skip the unit. It's okay. Yeah. And sometimes
1: I even change things up. Like for a few years, I had a kid who loved Legos so much. That's really all that he wanted to do with his entire life for that little (laughs) bit. And so if we were all making some hands-on project, but he just wasn't into it or learning about something, but he wasn't into it, I'd challenge him to make a Lego creation that was something to do with that. Like, okay, well, you're going to build the Roman temple out of Legos then. You know, whatever it was, we would kind of swing it to meet their interests somewhat.
0: That's a good idea.
1: Another game that I do that works with anything that's really really easy. I often will just photocopy a picture out of a book that we're going to be reading for a unit and I stick it up like on on the wall or on the table or on a board or whatever. And then I basically tell them, "Hey, I want to see who can spot this as we're learning about this in the unit. And so they don't know what book it's in. They don't know where it's at. But as we go about exploring the resources, they're always looking for it. And it just keeps them engaged enough to stay interested. And yeah, then you're tricking them. But yeah, it works. But then when they find it, they're like, I found it. I found it. And it's just yep. a picture from the book, but it just keeps them actively engaged. I know. So they're just simple things that you can do like that to keep them interested. Okay, Michelle, the next question is what formats is Writer's Workshop available in?
0: Okay, so we now have three formats that you can buy Writer's Workshop. You can buy it as a PDF, you can buy it as a paperback book, or you can buy it as a Kindle. And all of those come with the printable pack. That's for the entire Writer's Workshop program. In addition, they are sold as individual units that are within the Writer's Workshop book. So the individual units are only sold as PDFs. We don't have them in paperback format or Kindle format.
1: So it just makes for a more affordable option. If you don't want to buy the whole program at once, you can just get, it's kind of like getting one chapter of the book. It really is. Each of the formats are exactly the same inside. The content is the same. It just depends on if you're going to read it on a tablet or if you want to read it on your Kindle or if you want to print it out or if you want to actually purchase a
0: totally formatted printed paperback book. Right. Otherwise, they are identical. You don't need to get more than one. Just stick with your favorite. Okay, next question. Karen, does layers of learning work for a dyslexic or ADHD child or a child with other sorts of learning disabilities? I think this
1: is actually one of the big benefits of layers of learning because it works really well for that. And that's primarily because it's family style. It's intended to have the parent involved. I read aloud to my kids who are really good readers. It lends itself well to helping kids who struggle in certain areas when they have someone right by their side doing the same things. And so when you're doing it family style, it's really helpful for that.
0: The other reason that layers of learning works well and for children who are struggling in different areas is that it's intended to be written for multiple abilities and age groups. So everything in it can be used with a six-year-old and a 16-year-old, you know, so it's it's made for different abilities. So if your child is 12, but reading at an eight-year-old level, that's fine. Layers of Learning is written for that. And we suggest books that are
1: all of those, all those levels. levels too. So I really would rather that people don't go, oh, I have a 12-year-old, so we need to use the green smileys and the books that go with the green smileys that are those middle grades suggested things. Instead, you know your child. You know the level that they're at and they're going to learn far more if you're teaching and presenting materials on their level than if you're expecting them to jump to some new level just because they're a certain age. Teach them where they're at and let them grow. Don't force something onto them because you think they should be doing something at their age.
0: I actually read picture books to my high schoolers <laughs> that maybe sounds weird but we were just learning about genetics and so I had a picture book about Gregor Mendel and his pea experiments it was a really really well done picture book and I sat there and I read it with all three of my children and my youngest is 12 and we were reading this picture book together it is perfect it was exactly the right introduction we needed for that particular
1: unit I've always said that any adult who read the entire nonfiction section of the children's part of the library would know way more
0: than most adults. Like, it's
1: amazing the books and the knowledge that are contained within the children's nonfiction section of the library. Yeah,
0: so don't feel like your child has to be reading on their grade level or at their age level. Give them the books and the videos and the materials and the resources that they need to succeed where they're at. I also think that the fact that
1: it's a very hands-on based program usually helps kids who have trouble concentrating or sitting still. It can just be more active than the read the text, answer the questions format that a lot of curricula are in. Okay, Michelle, the next question is, can you add in religious or biblical history
0: to layers of learning? Yes, I like these questions. They're easy. (laughs) Okay. Yes or no questions. So we didn't... We purposely didn't make it religious or secular. It's really neither one. It's sort of neutral or non judgmental. What our goal was is that parents will have the power to teach their own point of view to their children. So, for example, when we're talking about evolution in the science, in the biology stuff, uh-huh. we ask questions that lead parents to have discussions with kids, but we don't tell you what to think about it. And we suggest resources
1: that are from lots of different viewpoints. So one of the reasons that we do that is because, I'll give you an example. I do incorporate religious teachings into my homeschool because I am a religious person. But even in my own beliefs, when I used other religious curricula, they didn't always align with what I believed. And so I didn't like that I was constantly having to edit things or change things, explain things, explain things. So this is kind of the way that we teach. We're not doing it because we hope that we can sell more books. It's because this is the way that we do it with our kids. We like to ask them questions, have them think about why we believe the things that we do believe And we do incorporate resources that align with our beliefs. But honestly, I also incorporate a lot of other resources. I am a religious homeschooler who teaches my kids evolution. I like them to be presented with lots of different viewpoints and to think things through. So this is really the way that we teach in our homeschools. And that's why we present it in this flexible format that anyone
0: can use. So also in the Facebook files section, we have several parents who have correlated religious materials of different kinds, including, I think, didn't someone? I did a Bible correlation. Yeah, there was a Bible correlation.
1: Um, yeah, I it's very generic. You could do it even more in depth. But yeah, there are several resources that align with layers of learning that teach some religious studies as well.
0: And, and again, if you're a member of the layers of learning homeschool group and you want to submit a correlation chart of some kind for whatever kind of resource you have, go ahead, do it. That's awesome. We love it when people do that. Yeah, it's, it is awesome. Okay. One last question, Karen. And this one is actually kind of a tough one in a lot of ways, but I will sum it up. Here's the question. How do you approach it? If you feel like your child is behind and we're talking about, especially if you have an older child, maybe 12 and up, And they have, for whatever reason, been delayed in their education and you feel like they need to catch up. How do you, how do you use layers of learning if they've got these learning challenges and they're behind and they're delayed? I honestly wish that there was no such thing as behind
1: in a homeschool parent's vocabulary. Your child could be behind for a whole variety of reasons. But I'm gonna give you one example. I have a very good friend who has a daughter who has a lot of physical and mental disabilities. And she always will through her whole entire life. And I still remember when she learned to swallow food, it was such a big deal. We were celebrating. It was like, they didn't think she'd ever do that. And then she did. She'll never walk. She'll never do a lot of things. But every single thing that she does is amazing, And every single kid is amazing. We need to take them exactly where they're at and stop calling them behind. They are where they are. And we need to teach to right where they are. Now, does that mean that you can't put a little bit of pressure on if you want them to catch up in some things? No, you can. You can definitely, you know, help them to progress. I was a reading tutor for a number of years and I still remember Parents would come to me and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's reading at a second grade level and he's in fourth grade. Well, I will say that with me helping them, usually within about two or three weeks, they were up to a fourth grade level. It usually was a developmental thing where they weren't ready when they were in second grade to be where people expected them to
0: be. And they don't have to be. Not every kid is in exactly the same place. The nice thing about homeschooling is that you're tutoring them one-on-one. That's what homeschooling is. It's, it's individual tutoring. And so you can help them when they're developmentally ready. And you don't have to have those benchmarks in mind. You can just let them help. I have a son. Four of my kids are dyslexic. But one of them especially has struggled with it. And he's my youngest. And he is 12 years old now. And I don't know what his reading level is because I don't have him tested. and I don't pay that much attention to it. But he's probably like on a second grade reading level. He's he's quite a bit behind if you want to use that word. But I've never worried about it. My other dyslexic kids grew out of it and they learned to read and they caught up. Eventually, they aren't behind now. They are bookworms. Yeah. So I think the more that you focus on how behind a child is, the more insecure that child will feel. I think that you got to be important not to do that. Now, how do you use layers of learning though to help them catch up or, you know, if they're 16 and you've only got two years of your homeschool left with them, what do they need to cover in layers of learning?
1: Well, again, content knowledge is not the most important part of anything that you're learning. What you're looking for is skills. So you're probably feeling like they're behind because of their reading level and their writing level. That's generally the concern that parents have. And, It might be just because your kid had something happen. Like there's one mother in our layers of learning group who was telling me that her daughter was hospitalized for over a year. And it was really, really hard for her to stay up on her studies because she was hospitalized because of really severe health concerns. You're going to kind of get behind in that state. If her daughter had had a normal year, she probably wouldn't have been behind. She didn't have those struggles. But because of this huge life event, she got behind. You just want to meet your kids wherever they are at and continue to work on building those skills little by little. Have them continually read. Have them continually write. If kids have dysgraphia and really struggle with writing, there are some really good tools out there. You can use the voice-to-text software so that they can write by speaking. That's absolutely a possibility. Along with that, audiobooks are really great for dyslexic kids as our videos. Not that you shouldn't have them read, you should have them read, but maybe don't have them read every single thing that you want them to become informed about. So just adapt it so that your kids are progressing
0: but not smothered by feeling inadequate. And as far as layers of learning itself goes, use it in a way that makes you and your child love the process of learning. It doesn't matter how fast you get through it, if you want to slow it down, if you want to speed it up, there's not a certain amount of units that you need to cover before graduation. It's okay to, to do it at your pace, to skip through things, to focus on just the units that you feel are that you personally feel you really want your child to have under their belt before they leave your homeschool. As far as getting into college, if you've got a child who is in those high school years and they are delayed for some reason, first of all, not everybody has to go to college. It's kind of become this holy grail. Like, if you don't go to college, your entire life will be blighted. And that's not actually true. There's a lot of career paths that don't require college. Most of my kids probably won't go to college.
1: A lot of it depends on what their interests are and what their talents are. And so, you know, you're probably not going to have a dyslexic kid who decides to be you know, a, a university professor or something, you know, they, that's not really what they enjoy. So they're probably not going to do it. That doesn't mean that you don't want them to be able to read. You do, but they're probably not going to get to the same level of reading that somebody who absolutely loves books and pours over them is going to get to. And that's okay. But look for their talents and help them to grow in the areas that they will excel
0: in. I also have My third son is in college right now. He's in a community college. And for him, community college was really the only way to go because he wasn't up to speed on his math. We had to repeat algebra twice. And then when he tested into it for the community college, he got put into a lower level algebra class. At the community college, they do that. They teach basic math there. They teach basic writing skills. And so if your kids aren't up to speed, aren't ready, they can still go to a community college and still go to a university and complete all the things they need to complete. They just have to start at a little bit lower level at college. So even that's not cut off from kids who are struggling with stuff. And I think my son who struggled with algebra, I think he actually wasn't mentally prepared for the higher level math. He wasn't developmentally there. And a lot of people aren't until they're about 21. You're not done developing until you're around that age.
1: Well, and that also speaks to something that happens throughout their development. I mean, just this last week, my daughter said, Oh, no, Mom, my math lesson is on percentages. And I said, Well, that's that's not a hard one. Percentages are easy. And she goes, No, these are so hard. I remember this from last year. It's so hard. I couldn't get this, Mom. And I'm thinking, I don't remember her struggling with it, but okay. And I taught her the lesson and she did her problems. And she was like, those are easy. Why did I think that was hard? I said, you probably just grew into it. Some things we just have to grow into. So we want our kids to be continually growing, continually learning. For the most part, I think that kids can learn a lot in the high school years, a lot more than we think they can. So if they're a little bit behind... I think they often quickly catch up when they start to get excited about the things that they want to do with their lives. You know, when they start to grab a hold of something they're really interested in, if they have good study skills from learning throughout their homeschool experience, it's amazing what they can learn when they really get interested in it.
0: Okay, so most of these questions came from our Facebook group and the lovely ladies and gentlemen that we have on there. And we want to thank you guys again for being so amazing and being such a supportive, wonderful group of people. We love you and we feel the love from you a lot. We we really appreciate your feedback on all kinds of issues. And if you're not part of the Facebook group at Layers of Learning, you should come join it because it is definitely the most friendly place on the entire Internet. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating wherever you
1: listen. Ratings and comments help people find happy family-style homeschooling. Visit us
0: at layersoflearning.com, at Instagram, and on our Facebook group. And make sure to tune in next month for the next podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool.
1: Have fun learning!